Thanks to the team for the songs. Uh, it's, hope everybody was woken up and that <clears throat> your hearts were made ready to worship this morning. Have you ever um, sat down and just kind of taken a look over your life? I don't know, any, any amount of time, looked at the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, however many uh, years you want to look at, and just considered the decisions that you made, or the decisions that you made, good or bad, the ones you didn't make, the seasons of life that you've been brought through. Ever done that? I've been doing this lately, uh, looking roughly at the last 10 years of my life. Um, and what I'm seeing is, even though that I thought God was giving me the desires of what I wanted, and in a way he was, I mean, he was, he was doing things that at the time it's what I wanted. As I look back now, I can see how God was using what I wanted to show me that what I thought I wanted wasn't actually what I wanted. And he's kind of moved me into this time where I'm now more in line with what he wants. Um, I'll give you an example, and I'll go into more detail later. But about three or four months ago, this song came on the radio called Honestly by the City Harmonic. Have you ever heard that song? You ever heard the song Honestly by City Harmonic? The chorus of that song broke me one day on my way to class. And from that moment on, things that I had worked for for 10 years started to fall apart. And when I say they started to fall apart, it was all good looking back now. But in the moment, it was not fun. Um, This past Wednesday was the last day that Jennifer and I were responsible for Ridge Run Campground. Our lease was canceled, and we no longer have that business. And when it first happened, when the first reality of it struck, struck us, Several months ago, it was devastating for both of us. That came on the heels of a fight for a business property where we now have our sole business. So you can imagine how all of that playing out, our everything was in the air, hanging in limbo. We had no idea what was going to happen. Now, what I want to do today is I want to say that looking back, I now see what God has been doing. And I think you understand that we're going to talk a little bit about the process of sanctification. And basically what the process of sanctification is, it's the process of renewal by which believers are made holy and are equipped for ministry in the world through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the consequence of justification and dependent upon a person being in right relationship with God. Now, before I go further, I want to recommend a book to you. I've read this book, and I think Amber's read this book, if the card in the back is right. This is a book by Ravi Zacharias that says, Grand Weaver. It's called The Grand Weaver, How God Shapes Us Through the Events of Our Life. This book is in the library, and I would encourage you to read it because it is a very interesting perspective on what we're going to talk about this morning. So, if you notice in our definition, we have the word justification right there in the, in the middle. Justification is a legal term that means that you are standing right now before God, holy and justified. But it's not because of you. It's because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. So, if you look at Romans 10, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead, you will be saved And from the heart one believes and is justified, and with your mouth you confess and you're saved. Now, at that moment in time when you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, 
you stand legally justified before God. That means your sins will not be counted against you only because of Christ. Now, what happens from that moment on is the Holy Spirit and God in your life work out your salvation in the process of called, called sanctification. That, mo- that starts when you're justified. When you accept Christ from that moment on, everything that Christ does in your life is to bring you into conformity with, God's, with Jesus Christ and God's Son. That is taking you from a legal standpoint and morally bringing you into line with how you stand before God. you understand? You with me so far? Okay. If you would, turn to Romans 8, please. 8, 28 through 30. This is going to be the main text for this morning, but we're going to be all over the Bible. It was funny. I'm sitting down in class, and for those of you that were down in class this morning, my dad is explaining to everybody how you are to critique a message, and I'm like, great, i got to go up front and preach. Funny part is I'm the one that picked the picked the, sir, or the book downstairs, and, you know, John happens to be off when my dad is saying, so this is how you critique a pastor when he preaches. Now, I just started with a story, which, yeah, you know, that's all right. We'll be good. We're in the Bible for the most of the rest of the time, so we're all right. Romans 8, 28 through 30, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, to for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the amazing truth that is your word. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, as I bring forth what I've studied, and as your word comes out, Lord, I pray that that is what we would hear. Uh, Lord, that your truth would go forth from my lips, and and what I say would be true, that it would fall on hearts that have been prepared to hear your message. Father, I pray that your spirit would come and work through me and work in the lives of each and every one of us sitting here. And Lord, in my life too, as I study this and as I bring this forth this morning, will you just please continue your sanctifying work in my life as well. Amen. Now what we're going to do, I'm going to start, I want to start with verse um, 29. And the reason I want to start with verse 29 is because of the phrase that Paul uses, to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the center point of these three verses. It is the main reason that we as believers go through what we go through. So if you look at that passage, if you look at that, to be conformed and to the image of his son, to be conformed and to the image both carry the same sense in the original Greek that he is taking you from one point, your human nature, and moving you from there into conformity with his son. Now, that might not sound too complicated, but what I want you to see is this is the will of God in your life. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says this is the will of God, your sanctification, my sanctification, our sanctification. That is what God is doing in us all the time. From the moment that we believe on his son, we're justified. Now he has to bring us into conformity with our legal standing before him. So if we go back to Romans 8, like I said, both of these carry the sense of being similar in nature. If you turn to Ephesians 2, 
First three verses, this is where Paul, this is where we're starting. All of us start right here. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work at the, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's all of us. Everybody. So we've got to get rid of the idea that because we were born in church, we were raised in church, we grew up in a Christian home, we had godly influences in our life, whatever the case may be, whatever you think sets you apart from those that are out there, nothing sets you apart in the beginning. All of us, from the moment we're born, are children of wrath. Now, we need to understand that so that we can understand the gospel. Because if we don't understand that, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins is not really going to make much difference in our lives if we don't first think this is where we started. But I want you to see something. The best part that I see in here about the gospel is that those three verses are completely in the past tense. You notice that? And we were dead. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were by nature children of wrath. If you go on to the next verses, I think the gospel comes out. But God, six letters that change the course of everything. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So if that's where we're starting, if all of us are starting as children of wrath, this process of sanctification, I think we can understand why it's as difficult as it is. Um, Peter gives us a, an end goal kind of a glimpse into what we're doing. For this you have been called, this is 1 Peter 2, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So, if we're going from children of wrath on this side, to Christ-likeness on this side, what does that look like? I have eight qualities here that are going to be up on the screen if you want to jot them down. These are eight qualities of Jesus Christ that he has set for us as an example. So that's what Peter just told us. God has set Christ in front of us as an example that we should follow him. This is what he's leading us to. First one, self-denial. You can find that in Luke 9.23. I'm not going to read all the passages. You can write them down if you want them. Next one is service, faithfulness, love, patience, forgiveness, gentleness and humility, and purity. If you understand that we're coming from children of wrath, being moved into Christ-likeness, you can kind of see why life can be rough at times. We are by nature 100% fully set against that list. No matter what you think, no matter what you believe, the Bible tells we are against that 100%. 
So if everything that God is trying to move us towards is wholly against what we are, it's going to be a tension. There's going to be a fight there. And if we just sang the song, prone to leave the one I love, Lord, I feel it. That's why. Where we're headed is not where we would naturally go on our own. So we have to understand that the reason life is hard is because God is trying to clean up the edges of our life. He's trying to clean your heart. And you heard the phrase, the ends don't justify the means. When you're talking about a holy God, the, ends do, or the, the, means do, the end does justify the means. Because he's trying to conform you into the image of his son. So he's going to do whatever he has to do to get you there. Now I have another story. Sorry. This is just a little funny story. This happened last weekend. We were sitting at the table, and I made a comment. And for those of you that don't have kids, if you do have kids, when you have kids, you're going to understand that kids are like parrots, okay? They hear everything and they repeat everything. So we have been trying to, we don't use bad language in our house, but I've picked up some phrases that use the word holy in front of something, like holy crud or holy shoot or holy whatever. We've been trying, I've been trying not to say that because I don't want my kids to hear the word holy, which is attributed to God, and use that in front of things that aren't holy, okay? So... I don't know what was going on at the dinner table. It was probably around something that Josiah, the one-year-old, he eats like a horse. And I probably said something about that, and I said the comment, holy crud. Now, Jennifer gave me a look, which is fine. We're trying to work through this with our kids. But, you know, I explained to Caleb, you know, this is why we don't say this. This had happened a couple weeks before in the car, and we did the same thing there again. But, you know, I looked at Jennifer. I apologized to her for saying it. I apologized for Caleb, told him why I shouldn't say it. And Jennifer looks at me and she says, I've been working on you for two years at this. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. This is a phrase, two words, holy crud. It's taken me two years and I'm still not there. So you can see how when God's trying to change some other things, if it takes me two years to stop saying holy crud, I mean, I've got some other issues in my life that have taken me a lot longer than two years to deal with. But anyway. So the process of sanctification is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, holy against what we are, naturally. So I want to look at this process of sanctification. We've now kind of seen where we're going. We are moving from the children, being children of wrath, and moving into Christ-likeness. So the process of sanctification I found from these verses goes like this. First off, we are called by God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. First thing I get from this is you and I are not the originators of our faith. You would not have come to God had God not first called you. If you turn to Romans nine or yeah, Romans 3, you'll see this. Paul, going back into the Old Testament, talking about Israel, he says, What then, are Jews any better off because they have the law? Not at all. For we have already charged that all have sinned, both Jews and Greeks, and are under the law and are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have been called, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This goes back to what we just talked about in Ephesians 2, where we were wholly set against God, completely and utterly dead in our sins. Everything about us was set against God. So if you're dead in your sins, what can you do 
to bring yourself to be alive to God. I would say nothing on our part, but I believe Jesus in John 6 tells us what is going on. He says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of the life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. In 6.44, Jesus says that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So the first thing I want you to see is if you have faith in Jesus Christ right now, it is not because of your doing. Christ or God has called you to that. He has looked at you because he loves you. That's in Ephesians 1. I'm not going to read through all of it. Um, but blessed be to the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us that we should be holy and blameless in him, in love he is for adoption, and this is all according to the purpose of his will. In him we have redemption through his blood, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to the mysteries of Christ. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel and will. I don't understand how this works. Okay, One thing that's interesting to me is right in verse 4, Paul tells us that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world. That means if you think about that, before Genesis 1-1, okay, before in the beginning, before God had done anything to bring about everything that we see and enjoy in his creation, for whatever reason, simply that he loved us, he looked at you as a believer in, as a believer in him and said, I want that person. It wasn't because of you. It wasn't because of what you had done, what you would do, what he thought you might do. It was simply because he loved you. So if you get nothing else from this, I want you to hear this. And it's like I said earlier. Our understanding of Christ's work on the cross fully depends upon our understanding of where we have all started. If we don't see ourselves as children of wrath, if we don't see ourselves as wholly set against God, then nothing that he did on the cross makes any sense for you and I. Because if we can't see that, we can't see that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Does that make sense? Do you understand? All right. So, God calls us to this process. Once he calls us, he starts the work of transforming us. So the next step in this process is being transformed by God. Romans 8, 28, For we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, the first three words in this, and we know. It's interesting when, you, when, I, when I studied this, the word that Paul uses, transformed, we know, is knowledge that we gain from reflection. So it's not a knowledge of me telling you, hey, everything works out for the good, so it's going to be all right. Okay, this is the knowledge of you sitting down, looking at your life like I said in the beginning, and you come to know something by the fact of seeing it worked out before. Does that make sense? You can, you can know in your head, like Romans 8.28 says, that all things are going to work out to good, but if you don't sit down and look at it, that's how we come to actually understand how this process works, how we can actually see God working through our lives over the course of however many years you want to look at. I don't have a whole lot of years to look at, but 
you look at those years and you see, oh yeah, I can see that. No, I can see how God has been working. You with me? So Paul is telling us that we need to do this. Paul's not just saying this and we know, and the word he chooses is not just because that's the word he chose to use. I believe he's telling us that we need to do this reflection. We need to sit down and look at our lives and say, okay, yes, I see that. You know, when X happened 10 years ago, as bad as it was when I was there, I can see how God's been been moving me. I can see the lessons that God taught me in that time. You know, so then when the next one comes along, you look five years back instead of ten, you look back five years and you say, oh yeah, you know, look, there, he's doing it again. You know, I see when I went through that struggle, you know, when, you know, even just six months ago when Jen and I dealt with all these issues with the campground and our businesses and we watched God come through the first one and then we got, we got to the second one and we looked at the second one, you know, I'm like, I'm okay. Now, honestly, I wasn't okay at the point in time, okay? And I don't think that's a problem. I don't think there's an issue with having a struggle with what God is doing in our life. Right, because it wasn't easy. The first one was miserable. When we went through that first fight with our pro- for our property, it was terrible, and I reacted horribly. But I was ticked that what I was working for, seemingly falling apart. Now this is all coming on the heels of that song, honestly. And at that point in time, I hated that song, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I saw what was happening, and it was okay. And when I watched God bring us through that first fight, and there were some crazy things that happened. I can't go into all of it. But there were some, I don't believe in coincidences. There were only God moments in that three or four weeks that I can't explain, you can't explain, I can't explain it. This goes back to a property we looked at buying seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. We looked at buying a property seven years ago. I had a business registered in that name. It was because of that business and because of that address that we did not get the letter when we were supposed to get the letter, which meant the process didn't start. And there was a sale of another property that came in in that same ballpark that wouldn't have happened. I can't, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. All right, God was watching us seven years ago, and he said, okay, you're going to purchase this property, but you're not actually going to purchase this property. But you're going to register a business there. Because when you register that business there, seven years down the road, I'm going to need a letter to go to that address so that you can have the time to fight for your property. Okay, that's the God that we serve. And I'm sure if I went around and I talked to every single person here, you could sit down and you could tell me of a time in your life when you saw that God used things that you thought were absolutely horrible to bring about something good now. To make a change in your life to take you from that child of wrath cut the edges off of you and say, listen, this is what I need you to do. I need you to trust me. I need you to sit here. And all you need to do is believe that I am working this out for your good. What we need to remember, though, is the good is being conformed to the image of his son. So there's going to be points in time when your life where you're in the middle of a struggle and it doesn't look really good in your eyes. But our good is not the American dream, okay? Our good is not the nice house, the nice cars. It's not the comfortable lifestyle. It's not the perfect marriage. It's not the perfect kids. It's not the perfect whatever. It's not the perfect church. Our good, in God's eyes, is taking us and transforming us into his son. So that brings me to the next point. Actually, first, let me back up. 
if you don't regularly take the time to look back and do what I've just done, do what I've just said, and what I believe Paul is telling us to do, I don't believe there's any way that you could ever do what James says and consider it pure joy when we meet various trials, trials of various kinds. How are you going to be here dealing with, struggling with, fighting with whatever that it is and consider that pure joy if you have not seen what God has brought you through the last 10 years? How are you going to do that? I don't think you can. And what I'm saying is your attitude towards your past is completely... No, your attitude towards your present is completely dependent upon your attitude of what has happened to you in the past. If you can see God sovereignly moving through your life over the last 10 years and you come to a bump in the road or a huge crater in the road or whatever it is, if you can't see that God has been faithful to you, how are you going to consider it pure joy that you are about to walk through a fiery trial? Can you? I don't think you can. So this is why we need to take the time to sit and reflect on what God has brought us through. So if we move on now, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. The phrase again that Paul uses for those who love God and for all things work together, I think these two go hand in hand. I think you can't see the one without the other. And what I mean by that is I don't believe that you can see that all things are working out to your good if you don't first love God. And the reason I say that is because the, the phrase that he uses and the love that Paul is talking about here is agape love, it's Christian love. And that carries with it a characteristic of taking your will and laying it aside for somebody else's. So what Paul is saying here is if you don't love God to the point where you're able to say, I don't want what I want anymore, I want what you want. If you're not able to set your desires aside, if you're not able to lay your life down at the altar and say, Lord, I am yours, do whatever you need to do with me to get me to where you want to be. All things are not going to work out for your good. Now, God may be trying to do that, but you're not going to see it. Because it is at that point, until you have surrendered your will fully to him, your good and his good are not lining up. Your good is still going to be what our Western, watered-down Christianity says, which was those lists that I listed, the nice nice cars, the whatever it is for you. But that might not be God's will for your life. God may want to send you somewhere. God may need to tear those things away from you to have you trust him more. And in his eyes, tearing those things from you, taking those things from you is good because it is moving you into the the conformity of his son. So until you are willing and until I am willing to lay my will down, at the foot of the cross, at God's feet, and say, do with me what you will. You are not going to see that all things are working out for your good. Because when your plan gets knocked off track, it's not going to be seen as good in your eyes. 
And I felt this, again, back to my story with what I was saying about the properties and the campground and everything else that I just felt was crashing down around me. It did not feel good. It didn't. But I'm sitting here looking back and I am seeing that God was telling me and showing me areas in my life that I was leaning on myself and on the businesses that I had and the ability that I have in business and trusting more in that than I was trusting in him. So God said, fine. If that's what you want to do, then that's what we're going to do. But I'm going to show you that you're not in control. And within four weeks, he did just that. So what is God showing you in your life right now that you're not in control? What is God doing in your life? What are the areas in your life? What are the things that God is trying to use to conform you into the image of his son? What are you holding so tightly to that you just don't want to give it up? But yet that's the very thing you need to give up in order for God to continue his sanctifying work. The final step in this process is to be glorified by God. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the part of the process, oh glorious day, we just sang about it. This is the part of the process that I believe that if we are fully in line with God's plan, this is the day that we are looking forward to. This is at Christ's second coming that we will be fully glorified in God. And we need to see, we need to understand that God is going to finish this. No matter how hard we fight him, no matter how hard we say, Lord, I don't take that, please don't take that. If it is part of his plan for you, and I believe that it is, because like I said in the beginning, his will for you is your sanctification. You're not going to be able to fight so hard that you will hold on to everything. God is going to find a point at a moment in time, and he is going to break you if you are one of his children. Because he loves you. And because he wants to, from the beginning of time, from before the creation of the world, spend eternity with you. And what he's going to do, as Philippians 1, 6 says, I am sure of this. Paul says, I am sure of this. That he who has began a good work in you, the the conformity into the image of his son, he's going to finish it. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In 1 John, John tells us that, beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. We should know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, we, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, Paul talks about the resurrection body. This is what we're all going to be getting. This is the day of Christ where we're going to be glorified. I'm not going to read through the whole passage, but I want you, if you want to, start at verse 36 in 1 Corinthians 15. But I want to highlight what Paul says at the end of the chapter there. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must be 
put, must put on the imperishable, and this body must put on immortality. We're going to get a new body. For those of us that are struggling with physical ailments, for those of us that have whatever it may be, you know, the pain, the struggles, the, the hurt of this life is all going to disappear in the day of Christ. And that is the final work that God is working you and moving you towards. He is getting you to a point where he can glorify you. John tells us in Revelation a little bit about what this heaven is going to look like and what this is going to be for us. He heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now here we go. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more, nor shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is the hope to which he has called us. That is what we are looking forward to at the day of Christ. While the team comes front to close out the service, I want to give you some things here. As you think about your life and your individual process of sanctification, I've got three things that we need to do. First, we need to give God all the glory. He has called you. He is working in you. He is the one that is moving you and wanting to glorify you. It is all because of him that you are where you are. It is all because of him that you have come to him for salvation. It is all because of him that he has said, I want you to be like my son. You need to praise him for that. We need to humbly fall at his feet and say, thank you, Lord, I am a sinner and you have looked on me and you have loved me and you have extended to me grace. Second thing we need to do is we need to give thanks in everything. Because if what we said and if, if what Paul is telling us is that all of the things work out for our good, then the struggles, the trials, the hurts, the pain that we go through, if we have submitted our will to him, and if we are living the life that he has called us to live, he is the one that is bringing those and, and working through those to mold us into his son. We just came through the Thanksgiving season, and I'm sure we all sat around a table at some point and gave thanks to, the, to, the, to God for the things that we have, for the blessings that we've been given. How many said, hey, thanks, God, for the trial that you're putting me through right now? Thank you for tearing away that thing that I was holding to tightly, more tightly than I should have been. How many of us said, thank you, Lord, for the financial struggles that I'm going through? How many said, thank you for showing me that my hope is found only in you and that if I lean on the materialistic things of this world, at one day, it's, all, it's just going to lead me down? You know, in the class this morning, Rochelle brought up the point of the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. Is your house built on the rock this morning, or is it still built on the sand? And are you thankful for the things that God is throwing at you, the storms of your life that are coming to show you where your foundation is made more of sand than of rock? And the last thing I want to leave with you is to live in anticipation. There's a day coming when the heavens are going to open up, and Christ is going to come on the clouds. He's coming for you and he's coming for me if you have placed your hope and your faith in him. Look forward to that day. Know that everything 
that God is walking you through right now is in preparation for that.